Hello, everybody. Welcome to Summit Church right here in Fenton, Missouri. So glad you've joined us today. Welcome, everybody, here in the in the uh, auditorium. Uh, hey, let's uh, get right into the Word of God. You know, we've been studying for the last many months on lessons from uh, the kings of the Old Testament. And... Uh, We've talked about Saul. We started with King Saul and then David and Solomon. And then, of course, under Solomon's son, the kingdom, the United Kingdom of Israel split into the northern and the southern kingdoms. And if you've, I mean, we've been on this for months. And uh, uh, so if you've missed any of the sessions, they're all in our archives. You can go and easily find them. And uh, I, I think it's been a good study. We've been looking at the, the things that the kings did that were good. And things that the kings did that weren't good. And, you know, we can learn lessons from them and uh, do the things that were good that they did and be blessed like they were and, and avoid the bad things that they did and uh, and, and miss out on the, the bad things that, that they had to endure because uh, uh, because they, they wouldn't listen to God and they were just evil. And so uh, so we can learn from other people's uh, uh, successes and other people's mistakes. So that's kind of what this series has all been about, is studying them and, and, and learning from their, 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 uh, their lives and doing the good stuff they did and, and, and not doing the bad stuff that, that they did. Okay, And so um, we concluded the Northern Kingdom some time ago, but today I want to finish this series. We're going to finish it today. This is going to be the last part on it. And I want to talk about the last good king of Judah in the south. Remember, Israel was in the north. Judah was in the south. The last good king and one of the best kings of all, Josiah. King Josiah. I mean, he, this, this guy was a good guy. He really, really was. And, uh, of course, last time that, 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 uh, uh, we taught, uh, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, um, we, we talked about King Manasseh. King Manasseh. I wasn't here last week. So, so King Manasseh, two weeks ago, we covered him. He was evil. Remember? Evil. One of the most evil kings. But he repented and God restored him. And that was a great lesson, I think, that, that we had on him. And then his son Ammon, uh, came to power after him and he was evil. He never repented. And I'm, there's not much really to cover on him that, that I felt impressed to, to talk about. But then Ammon's son, Josiah, Josiah, who is Manasseh's grandson, as I just said, he was the last of the good kings of Judah before it fell into Babylonian captivity. Remember the uh, the kingdom in the north, Israel, they, they wouldn't listen to God and they continued to practice sin and, and uh, they fell to the Assyrians. But uh, Judah will fall into the hands of the Babylonians, but... But Josiah was their last, really, their last, their last uh, breath of fresh air, their last bright spot, their last real hope of repentance. And, and he was just a really, really a good, good, good king. Now, it's interesting, his, uh, his dad was evil, but he was good. And remember, one of the lessons we've learned is that, you know, just because you have a good parent doesn't mean you're going to have a good son or a good child, you know, and just because you have an evil parent doesn't mean you're going to have an evil son. It, you know, uh, uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but everybody has to make their own decision, you know. So when kids grow up, even though they may have a good, a good parent, uh, you know, a kid when he gets of age has to make his own decision. 
And uh, but here you have an interesting thing that uh, you had uh, uh, Josiah uh, raised under the evil influence of his father Am Amnon. Now, now you know he he uh, uh, of course his grandfather was evil Manasseh. He repented, but Am Ammon was was evil. But yet you have Josiah turns out to be one of the best kings of all. So you can't you know you can't <laughs> figure the, a lot of these things out. You know as to why why these things happen, that good parents sometimes have evil children and vice versa. So, you know, you just have to pray for your children and raise them the best you know in line with the Word of God and trust God. That's all you can do. But ultimately, they have to make their own decisions. So in Second Chronicles 34, let's get into Josiah here. Second Chronicles 34, we're going to read various verses. A lot of verses here today, but it's a good thing to read the Bible when you come to church. And Josiah was eight years old when he became king. This is verse 1, 2 Chronicles 34, 1. And so, no, he's only eight years old when he becomes king. And he reigns 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So that's good. And walked in the ways of his, his father, but actually his ancestor, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And that's the way we all need to be. You know, follow God. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Just keep following God. And notice verse, th verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, now he's 16 years old, he started at eight years old as king, now he's 16 years old. While he was still young, he began to seek the God of, of, his, uh, of his father or his ancestor David. It's so important to get children uh, uh, acquainted with God, uh, you know, it's just so important to, do, to, to get people acquainted with God when they're young, when their hearts are soft, you know. And uh, we've seen this again and again. And uh, I'm so glad my grandma, she saw to it that uh, that I was uh, taken to church uh, as just a youngster. And she saw to it. I remember she was adamant about it. She said, I remember her telling my dad, she said, I want him. I want him in, in the Sunday school up at, 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 the, at the Baptist church. She insisted on it. I mean, she was vehement about it. And uh, <laughs> and thank God she was she felt that away and uh, got got me in there. And I remember my dad sitting with me in Sunday school and he was probably learning the Bible right along with me. You know, in the when I was, uh, uh, you know, just just he died when I was seven years old, you know, and he was I remember him sitting there on a chair in the corner, you know, because I because I. Because I wouldn't let him leave the room. I, I wouldn't let him leave the Sunday school room. I'd pitch a fit, you know. I'd start crying and acting up. So he sat right there with me. And uh, he heard them Bible stories right along with me. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God he did. He died when I was seven years old, you know. But God got the gospel into him right there. And, the, you know, you can learn a lot in a Sunday school classroom, you know. And, and, and so I got the word of God in me when I was very young. And uh, But anyway... So uh, Josiah began to seek God uh, and, and when he was very young and, and so forth and so on. And in the 12th year, when he's 20 years old, notice what he does when he's 20. He begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images and the molded images. Now, as we go through here today and we've seen this with so many of these kings, the idolatry. The worshiping of false gods. We've seen that. Now remember that and think about that as we go through here today because we've seen this again and again. And, and we had different kings would come up on the scene and they would they just clear the land of, of, of all the idolatry. 
You know, I, th I think Hezekiah was one that did that. If, I, if I'm remembering, we've had so many kings, it's hard to keep them all straight. But, uh, but then when that king would, would, would die and whatnot, then his son would come to power and it would, would be evil and that idolatry would just, would reinfest the, the land and so forth. And so, uh, but, but notice what, what he's doing, what Josiah is doing here. He's purging the land. Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. Think about that. Think about all the idols they had. And he got rid of them. Notice verse 4. They broke down the altars of the Baals. Remember those were false gods in, the, in his presence. And the incense altars which were above uh, them, he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. Think about that. He broke, uh, he broke in pieces. And made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the, in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Nephtali and all around with axes. I mean, he's, he's having a house cleaning, isn't he? But just think what had happened under his father and really under his grandfather, his grandfather, Manasseh. Now, he did repent at the end. Thank God he did. But he had just let the land become infested with these things, with these idols. And now Josiah is cleaning house. And when he, look at verse seven, when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images and uh, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. I mean, it was like a full time job of, of many, many of his soldiers or whoever he had doing this cleaning house. I mean, think about how, how, how much of this had gotten into the land. And in the 18th year of his reign, verse eight, now he's 26 years old. When he had purged the land and the temple, and now as you read on here, then he turns to the, the temple of the Lord to repair the house of the Lord his God. Because uh, the temple had been left unmaintained for about a hundred years. Now that's very important. You need to remember that the temple had been left unmaintained, the temple of the Lord. Now, he's cleaning the land out, but now he turns to the house of God and it had been left unmaintained for about a hundred years, about a century. Now, you think about that. And if you go to verse 14 here in the first part of the verse, uh, the, the, the repairs are, are beginning and ensuing and, and all, all of that. So now now. Now think about this, that the temple of the Lord had been, had been unmaintained for about a hundred years. And now they go in there and they start cleaning it up. They're going to start repairing it. And something very interesting happens. Something very interesting. Look at the last part of verse 14. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Wow. He finds the word of God. Wow. Let me read on here and then I'll comment. Verse 15, Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, of our Old Testament. In the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king. This is a fascinating thing what happened right here. The, 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 the Bible had been lost and unread for about two generations. Now you think about that. The Bible had been lost. It had been un. We we say the Bible. It would be like the Bible to us. It wasn't. It wasn't the full Bible like what we have. But it was the first five books 
of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books. And that's all they had, you know. But uh, it had been lost. It had been it had been ignored. It had been neglected. And uh, for about two generations, and, and this is so powerful, speaks so much to me, because I see a great correlation with this in the United States of America. The Bible, if you don't realize that you need to, is being lost even as we speak in our nation. What do you mean lost? I mean not being taught anymore like it once was. Not taught in, in churches really even. I mean, I mean, you realize so many people, I'm talking Christians now, don't read their Bibles regularly. And, uh, uh, but not only that, uh, you go into so many churches and what you get mainly are motivational messages. And thank God for those. We need those too. But, but that's basically all it is so much of the time is just one motivational message right after the next. You might read one verse of scripture to, and call it a Bible-based thing, but it's a motivational message. And there's nothing wrong with having those from time to time, but you can't live on those. It's like living on a banana split, you know. And that's all you eat every day, all three times a day, banana split. I mean, we all probably like banana splits and they're wonderful. But if you live on those, eventually you, you will get malnourished and become sick. And that's kind of what the nation of the, the United States is laying in right now. Is, 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 is you, get, you go to churches, you get the motivational messages, but you don't really... <laughs> Because I've watched, I've studied this. I have my O hat, my observer hat. And you seldom get the reading of the scripture one verse right after the next. Which is what, it's the, it's the meat and the potatoes. And that's what you really need to nourish your, your spirits, you see. And, and, the, and, and so the Bible has been, by and large, I'll tell you right now, it's been by and large lost here in the United States. It's so sad, so sad. And, and in churches, we're talking, we're not talking among heathens here. We're talking among God's people. It was lost. And it, it, it was lost for almost uh, two generations. And, you know, over the last, since I've been a kid, I've watched this nation. It's not the same nation I grew up in anymore. It's just, it, it has turned so far away from God. And, I mean, it's always had its problems. The United States is the greatest nation. I don't want to live anywhere else. It's always had its problems. But you know as well as I do, that it has degraded and degraded morally over the last, I'm 58, but since I've, I've been a kid, I mean, I've watched it. It, 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 it. It's in bad shape. And the Bible, I've watched it. I, churches, I mean, when I go to church, I want the Bible read. I want to study the Bible. And you don't, you don't get that. You get motivational, you know, hip, hip, hoorah. You could, you know, that kind of stuff all the time. And, uh, and, and so the Bible is being lost. To, to, I'd say there's at least two generations now that have, that have not grown up with the Bible I'm talking among churches now. It, it, it's, it's more just motivational stuff. Even, even, you know, I know when I went to, I talked about it a moment ago. When I went to Sunday school, they taught me the Bible. Yeah. But, you know, we, we had a few games, but it was mainly the Bible. I had to memorize Bible verses. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, seven years old, five years old, six years old, you understand. And, uh, and they'd give me a little star if I remembered my Bible verse. And, uh, that's why I told our 
children's church around here teach those children the word of God. And they always did. They always did. But you see, after a while, parents won't bring their kids to a church like this because we're not playing games all the time. We teach them the Bible. Sad, isn't it? Yes. It's just the truth. But it's, I don't, you don't take your kid to church to play games. You take them to learn the Word of God. And if there's, you can have some games, sure. But, but I had one lady tell me one time, she said, she said, uh, concerning our children's church here in our youth ministry, she said, you need to have the games and the food and the pizza and this and that, and then slip the Word of God in on them a little bit at the end. And, and, and I, was, I about fell over when she said that. And she was a good lady. I'd attended here for years. She said, but that, she said, if you, if you just give them the word of God, you're going to lose, you're going to lose kids. You got to, you got to get, play games and have this and that, all these activities and pizza and then slip the word of God in at the end. And I, I I said, I'm not going to do that. And you know what? Parents in the process of time wouldn't bring their, wouldn't bring their kids here anymore because they want, you know, they want, I said romper room, but they want to play games all the time. No, we need to teach our kids the word of God. We can have some games and things. I'm not against that, but, isn't the first thing the Word of God? Isn't, but it's being lost and has been lost. Anyway, verse eighteen. Then, so so they find a Bible, if if you will, not the, the Bible like we have it, but you know the first five books. And notice verse eighteen. Then Shapin the scribe told the king, saying, "Hilki the priest has given me a book, and Shapin read it before the king, before Josiah. Thus it happened." When the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. I mean, this was a sign of distress. Then uh, the king commanded, verse 21, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in the book. See, he realized when that when the when the when the when the uh, book of the law was being read to him, he said, "Oh my gosh, we haven't been keeping this uh, law of God." Now, now he'd already started cleaning house, as we said before. He found this book, what we would know as the Bible. But once he read it, once he read the law of Moses, he said, "Oh my gosh, we've got it. We real, we haven't been living right here." We haven't been doing right. And actually, he said, to, he said, uh, to do according to all that's written in this book. I think he had, I can see right there, he read the book of Deuteronomy right there. You can tell. Because it talks about doing everything that's written in the book, you know, the blessings and the cursings. Now look at uh, verse 22 here. Look at verse 22. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, uh, Huldah the prophetess. So, so now they found the, they, they found the book of the law. He says, go, go, go talk to, to, to this prophetess and, and see what she has to say about it. Let's see what the Lord is saying to us now that we found this book, this, this, the Bible, so to speak. Then she uh, answered them. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, tell Josiah, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'll bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book. Well, you can see Deuteronomy. See, he, he read Deuteronomy, which they have read before the, the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, 
that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out uh, on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, talking about Josiah, who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner, you shall say to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words uh, against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely I'll gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes now watch this. Your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. And we saw this again and again, that God was, you know, a lot of times he'd bring judgment. But because somebody repented, because one person repented, he wouldn't do it in their days. He would wait until after they died and then he would bring the judgment so they didn't have to see it. You can see God's mercy, being merciful to Josiah here. You can see, and we saw that again and again. That's one of the lessons we've learned uh, so they brought back word to the king. And so the judgment of God pens on this nation and uh, on the United States of America. And you can see that the judgment of God has already been begun and has been uh, 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 been being meted over the last many, many, many years. Most people don't know the judgment of the Lord. But just look at the weather patterns and just look at some of the things that have been going on in the land. And you can see the judgment of God has uh, has has slowly begun uh, to be released upon this nation because of the sin in this nation and because it's not repented uh, before before the Lord. But uh, you see, there's many in this nation that love the Lord and seek his face and pray. And so, yes, the judgment of God pens upon the United States of America uh, and, and, and the judgment of God will increase and, and, and it'll be in phases. But um, uh, but before the worst of it comes, those who have sought the face of the Lord, those who have been faithful to to uh, study his word and walk right before him will be removed either by way of the grave or by way of the great catching up of the church. Before the worst of it comes. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying. Yeah, yeah. It's coming. But I believe those who have been faith, faithful to God will be removed before the worst of it comes. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying. All right. Well, let's get back to it. Holy Ghost can interrupt me anytime he wants. And, all right. Praise God. You mark that down. Uh all right, so so notice here, uh, uh, so they verse 28, so they brought back word to the king about all this. 20, verse 29, then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites. Uh, it's interesting when you read this, notice the priests here. The Levites are here and Second Kings account of this, Second uh, Kings 23 account of this includes the prophets. It's interesting, you had, you had uh, priests and Levites, well, Levites, priests, basically kind of the same. And prophets, think about it, all operating without having a Bible from which to work. Think about that. Think about that. Think about that. And you see in, in the land in which we live, 
you see so many ministers of the gospel operate without the word of God, really. Just giving talks and motivational messages. My God, we need the, 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 the ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. We need to operate off the word of God. Can you say amen? Absolutely. Absolutely the truth. Absolutely. But they didn't have the word of God. They just found the word of God. And they're all excited. They're all excited. They're all excited. Did you know there are some places in this world uh, that, that they do anything? They, 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 they'd walk across the greatest mountain or, or, or go across a, a desert or whatever just to get one page of this book. Did you know that? And here in the United States, there's Bibles everywhere. I mean everywhere. There are Bibles everywhere. And Christians have become so worldly here in the United States and so lackadaisical and loose that Bibles lay all over the place and nobody hardly pays any attention to to them and Christians, a lot of them won't even bring their Bibles to church, whether it's a book or even in on their phone or whatnot. Isn't that sad? Men bled and died to get the, to get the Bible into our hands, and, and here in the United States, I tell you what, uh, people just just ignore the Word of God. Some places in the world, they like I said, they they treasure just to have just to have one half of a page. Of the, do you understand what I'm talking about of the Bible? And here in the United States, I tell you what, no wonder the judgment of God's pending on the nation. Now, I tell you, it is. I'll tell you that it is. I'll tell you that it is. My, my, my. But so anyway, so the priests and the Levites and the people, uh, got, uh, Josiah gets them all together. And uh, everybody, great and small. And notice what he did in verse 30. Now, this is important. He read, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So he gets them all together. And Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Guess what he did? He, he has the, he has the first five books read before all the people. Now, can you imagine what would happen to the church, to church attendance? In, in, in the United States of America, to, I'm not talking about all the churches, but to many, many, a lot of them. And particularly, particularly a lot of these mega churches. Can you imagine what would happen to church attendance if people came in there and all of a sudden now they're not getting motivational messages anymore. But all of a sudden they come in and they're getting the preacher standing up there reading the Bible to them. Line upon line, verse after verse, chapter after chapter. Can you imagine? I'll tell you what would happen to the attendance. There'd be almost nobody left. I said there'd be almost nobody left because people want to come and get the little motivational 30 minute little motivational talk. Get their ears tickled a little bit. Huh? Can you imagine what would happen if you started reading the, reading the Bible? Huh? I'm, and people wouldn't come for that. Not in the United States. Now, in other parts of the world, they would come for it. But I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, there's going to come a day in this nation. There will come a day in this nation where things will get, will, I'm talking the judgment of God, things are going to get to a point. May not be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, year after that or the year after that. But I tell you what, things are going to get in this nation where, the, where people don't, they won't come for the motivational messages. They're going to come and say, tell me, what does that holy book say? You watch it, you mark my words. You mark my words. But notice 1 Timothy 4.13. I want you to look at this. I'm going to read this in three different versions. NIV. 1 Timothy 4.13. 
Paul says to the young pastor, Timothy, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And then in the Amplified Classic, it says it this way, till I come, devote yourself to public and private reading. And the implication is of Scripture. New Living Translation says, until I get there, focus on reading the Scriptures to the church. So, you see, people say, well, Pastor Terry, why do you read scripture every week? You're reading Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. I'm doing what the Holy Ghost said do. That, that's, that's what I'm doing. And, and there, and there's, there are churches that do that. I'm not saying that we're the only one. There's a lot of them that do that, but there's far more that don't. And it's sad. And it's, it's one of the reasons the nation's in the trouble it's in. Look at, uh, look at 2 Chronicles 34 verse 31. So all this is going on. Josiah has the, has the book of the, the law read and all of that. Then the king, Josiah, this is verse 31, stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he made all who, see, they're not going to just read it, now they're going to do it. And he made all who were present, Jerusalem and, and Benjamin, take, take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? And then notice here, now what I want to do, I, I'm going to take, huh? The last verse was verse 33. 2 Chronicles 34, verse uh, 33. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from the country that belonged to the uh, children of Israel. And in fact, before he got the book of the law, before he got the book of the law, you see it says he removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. So before he got the book of the law, he was clean in house. But now that he's got the book of the law, he's going to double and triple down on it. And, and I, I just want to, I think we need to do this. Uh, go to 2 Kings 23. And, and now I'm going to read a lot of verses, but, but I, I'm doing this for a reason. Uh, he's got the book of the law. Now he's going to, you know how he was cleaning the house before? Now he's going to double, triple down on it. Look at verse 4. And the the second Kings 23, verse four, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Ashtaroth and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Verse five. Then he removed the idolatrous priests from the kings of Judah. Uh, uh, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, the moon, the constellations and all the host of heaven. I mean, he's, he's, he's cleaning things out. I mean, even more so. He's doubling, tripling down. And, 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 and he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord. I mean, they, they had idols in the house of the Lord. They had, I mean, terrible I mean, his, his grandfather Manasseh brought all that stuff in. Remember that? And, and, and anyway, to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook uh, uh, and the ground. Uh, he, he just burned it all and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Look at verse 7. Then he tore down the ritual booze of, this, of the perverted, this is sexually perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord. Uh, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. This had to do with sexual perversion. 
He cleaned it up. He just absolutely cleaned it up. He cleaned up. He, he got rid of homosexuality out of the land. We saw, I think, Hezekiah did that. You know, the United States, uh, homosexuality needs to be removed from the land. Yes. And marriage needs to be between a, a man and a woman as a husband and a wife. Amen. Amen. And he, he's cleaning house. And, uh, and, so, and so he did all that. Let's just skip to verse 10. Then he defiled uh, Topeth. Uh, this was a place which is in the valley of the sun of Hittim that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. In other words, he did away with child sacrifice, killing little babies. Can you say amen to that? The United States needs to, needs to overturn Roe versus Wade. Absolutely the truth. Absolutely the truth. I said absolutely the truth. We need to stop killing little babies through abortion. Can you say amen? And, and, and you see, you get revelation of the word of God, you'll get straightened up sexually. You'll stop killing little babies. And, and, and Can you say amen again? I mean, praise God. Absolutely. Verse 11. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. My gracious. And then just to speed it up, look at, look at verse 12. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chambers of Ahaz, which the king of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook. He's pulverizing these idols and things. Then the king defiled the high places uh, that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption. Notice the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth, uh, the abomination of the Sionian, and all, all, it talks about all the, remember Solomon turned away from God at the end. Remember that? Because of all those the foreign women that he had married. Remember that? How many remembers that? And, and, and so Josiah is going in there and cleaning all that stuff up. Verse 14, and he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Uh, and, uh, verse 15, moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, the high place, uh, which now, oh, now watch this. The high, but before I say that, do you see how it's so easy to get into idolatry? I mean, they're all over the place. The land's polluted with it. Moreover, the altar that was at, now look, 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 this is interesting. The altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, remember we studied Jeroboam? He was the, uh, he was the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel and very, very evil. And, uh, uh, so, so remember he had built an altar and he was sacrificing on it and all of that. We studied about him earlier, but look at verse, verse 15. Moreover, the altar, that was at Bethel, the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nemet, who made Israel sin, he made both uh, that altar and the high place. He broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. Now look at verse 16. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain and he sent, he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which a man of God, proclaimed, which, which a man of God had proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Now here's the thing. 300 years earlier, 300 years before this, Jeroboam had put an altar there, you know, and, uh, and a man of God came, if, if you remember that, and, uh, and, and, and what happened was, is as Jeroboam was sacrificing on this, this altar, um, this, this man of God comes up and, 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 and withstands him, and, uh, and, and, and and remember this, this, uh, Jeroboam pointed his hand 
at this, at this man of God, this prophet, and his hand withered up. Remember that? Remember we covered that? And he, and he, how many remembers that? It's dangerous to point at a man of God under the anointing of God. It's just dangerous. Remember that? And, and the man of God prophesied 300 years. He said, well, this happened 300 years later. He said that a, a man named Josiah from the house of David would arise and, and do what Josiah just did. God prophesied about Josiah 300 years before he was born. You can read that if you want. Don't, don't look it up now, but 1 Kings 13, the first two verses. You know, God prophesied that Josiah would arise 300 years before he was born. You know, God knows the end from the beginning. I mean, that moves me. That touches me. He knew Josiah was going to come up 300 years before he did and do exactly what he did concerning this altar that Jeroboam had built. He, 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 he fulfilled that prophecy. What Jeroboam did was evil and, 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 and 300 years later, Josiah came and finished the deal on that altar. And, uh, and, and, uh, and did uh, just what God said would happen. Isn't that something? Verse 19, and Josiah also took away the shrines out of the high places. I mean, we can just go on and on. Verse 20, he executed all the priests of the high places. These were, these were uh, priests of false gods. He burned their bones. I mean, he just cleaning up. Just to speed this up, look at 2 Kings 23, verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover. So he, he commands them to keep the Passover, and, and they had a great Passover and all of that. Uh, let's go to verse 20, uh, uh, let's go to verse 24 for the sake of time. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists. Now thank God for that. Yes. Diane and I took a day trip just the other day. We, we went up to some place in Illinois. And we just took a day trip, drove on that river road. And when, when we were in that little town, I think it was in Grafton is where it was. There was this, there was a shop, you know, a bunch of little shops. There's a shop said you can go in and get your palm read. And I told Diane, you couldn't pay me enough money to go in there. You go in there, you'll get a devil. I'll guarantee it to you. Absolutely the truth. Don't go in there. But uh, uh, and, and you don't know if the, if the person in there really has a spirit of divination or not. Remember Saul said, get me. Remember King Saul, he said, get me the witch of Endor. <laughs> Some that has a for real devil in her, you know. Most of those don't even have for real devils in them. They're just scams. But I wouldn't go in one place like that anyway, would you? You go in there, you're liable to get a devil. You understand that? A demon, you know. There's one devil, many demons. You don't want to go in there. But just think if the land was polluted with those things. Everywhere you go. This was one little store in Grafton, but I mean, just think if the land had this all over it. You'd have to have somebody clean all this stuff up. Yeah. And uh, so, so he put away all this stuff. Those that consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all, this is verse 24, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the, of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. Now look at verse 25. Now before Josiah, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Praise God. Is, is that something? And, uh, and then... If you go to, go back to 2 Chronicles 35, just go on a few more minutes here. 2 Chronicles 35, 
Notice verse 24. His servants, now, now Josiah eventually dies. He dies in battle. And his servants therefore took him, 2 Chronicles 35, verse 24, because he had got hit with an arrow, they took him out of the chariot, put him in a second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. Now this is what I want you to get. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And it said Jeremiah also lamented for him and so on and so forth. You know, we should live our lives so that when we die, we will be missed and mourned. But you know, a lot of people don't live their lives that way. Now, now, when Josiah died, the people were sad because he was a good king and they missed him and they mourned. But if you look at Jeremiah 22, verse 18, there was uh, his son. Look at his son. We're not going to cover him. But look at this. Jeremiah 22, 18. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, alas, his glory. Now watch this. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. I don't want people to want to bury me with the burial of a donkey, do you? You want, you want your children and grandchildren to bury you that way with the burial of a donkey? Because see, Jehoiakim wasn't a, wasn't a good, wasn't a good man. And, uh, but Josiah was. And in 2 Chronicles 21, verse 20, it talks about Jehoram. We talked about him earlier, but I want to read this. It talks about when he died, no one was sorry when he died. They buried him in the city, but not in the royal cemetery. Are, let me ask you a question. Are people going to be sorry when you die? Is anybody going to miss you? Are your grandchildren and children, are they, are they going to want to give you a good burial? Or are, they want to, are they going to want to give you the burial of a donkey? I, I've seen a lot of parents that when, when they die, their kids could care less. Well, don't even go to the funeral. Give them burial of a donkey, you know. Let's learn a lesson. Let's live our lives in such a way that when we die, we'll be missed. What do you say? Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And so it just got, uh, after he died, now after he died, I'm almost finished here. After he died, after Josiah died, uh, Four of his descendants came on the scene. They were all evil. And the last one was Zedekiah. And I just want to read two verses. Second Chronicles 36, verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings. Now he's sending... Now watch, learn this about God. We've seen this again and again. This is, they've been sinning for years and years and generations and generations. And God continues to warn Judah just like he warned Israel. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. And I tell you what, the United States is racing towards this point right here. If the whole, if the nation would, would, if we could have a Josiah moment, this nation could still be salvaged. But if we don't, we're, we're racing to this point where there is no remedy. And right after, after Zedekiah, right during his reign, Judah fell into Babylonian captivity and was taken over by the Babylonians for 70 years. Now, 
As I close, I want to, I want to say this. Of all the lessons we've learned over the past months from these kings, and I could put, give a whole list of them, so I'm not going to do that, but some that I think stand out to me, uh, we see God sending prophets to warn and warn. We saw that, didn't we? We just read it. We saw that again and again, not just what I read here, but we saw it all along. And we see God's goodness on those who truly repent. We've seen that. And we, we've learned that parents don't always produce good children and bad parents don't always produce bad children. We've talked about that. We've, we've learned that when God judges, you don't always, the person that repents doesn't always have to see that judgment in his lifetime. We learn that. We learn the importance of being humble. We learn the importance of seeking God and obeying him. We've learned to not let our hearts become cold and callous towards God as we get older. We've learned in so many more lessons. But if you, if you said, Pastor Terry, you've been preaching on the kings for months now. What's the one lesson that you think, Pastor Terry, stands at the top of the list that we should have learned? And it's this. And, we, and that's why I read all this today and all these verses. To keep ourselves from idols. Do you see how Judah, Israel, I mean, and Solomon, and, and, and they, they, were, they, were, they were polluted with idols, weren't they? And, uh, and, and, and that's a lesson, that, that's the number one lesson I think we need to walk away with, is that we must keep ourselves from idols. What's the first commandment? You'll have no other gods before me. And it's so important... And I'm ta we're talking, we're not talking about sinners now. The world, we're talking about Christians. Christians are polluted with idols. I've pastored 27 years. I've watched it with my own eyes. Look at the last verse today. 1 John 5, 21 in the Amplified Classic says, John says, little children, he's talking to the church. Keep yourselves from idols, from false gods, from anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart, do God, from any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. That is a powerful, powerful verse. And John was writing that to Christians 2,000 years ago. And it's just as true and more true today here in the United States. I'm talking about Christians of the United States doing this 27 years. And I've watched this and I've watched it and I've watched it and I've watched it and I've watched it. Where Christians put so many things ahead of God. And I learned a long time ago, most Christians love a whole lot of other things uh, than they more so than they do Jesus. Absolutely the truth, absolutely the God's honest truth. Most Christians that I've dealt with over 27 years, Jesus is not number one on their list. They've got enough of him to miss hell and make heaven, but he's not number one on their list. Absolutely not, not. There's other things, and a lot of people love other things more than they love Jesus, and I'm talking Christians. And, 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 I'll, and I'll close with three thoughts. I remember there was a lady came to me when the American Idol came on. If you remember that, all those years ago, probably a couple of decades ago. And she came up to me standing right in the sanctuary after a service. And she said, I will not be here on Wednesday nights anymore. And I said, I said, excuse me. She said, I will not be here on Wednesday nights. And she was vehement. I won't be here on Wednesday nights anymore. And... I said, really? Why not? 
She said, there's a new television show on. It's called American Idol. This is what she said. It's American Idol, and I will not miss my idol for anything. And you know what? Is that true, Diane? That's a God's honest truth. And you know what? I haven't seen that woman in church ever since. And you know what? She's been plagued with one illness right after the next ever since. She's never gotten better. She's got one illness right after the next, one calamity right after the next. Dear sweet lady. And then we had the Cardinals. And I'm a Cardinal fan. And uh, St. Louis Cardinals, baseball. And, and we had, uh, they, they got in the World Series. And standing right, right over here, there's a lady came up to me uh, uh, because they were going into the World Series and she got right in my face. And she said, I want to tell you something right now. Don't look for me and my husband. And by the way, there's a bunch of other people in this church and I'm speaking for them. We will not be here on Wednesday night when the Cardinals are playing. She said, we will be home supporting our Cardinals. We will not be here to hear the word of God, we will be home supporting our cardinals. Now you tell me that that's not idolatry. Unbelievable, isn't it? Now I support the cardinals, but I support Jesus more than the cardinals. Amen. And then the last one was when the Rams were running to the Super Bowl. I'll never forget it. And this whole city of St. Louis, I'm talking to Christians, 90% of them went nuts. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Never anything like it in my life. And I saw Christians act over the Rams like they'd never act over Jesus. I, I, was at a, I was at the Super Bowl watching the game. I wasn't at the Super Bowl, but I was watching the Super Bowl game on television. And I saw Christians praising that television set and getting vehement, praising that, you know, the, the Rams, go, 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 go. And I'd never seen them act like that for Jesus in church. Not one time. And it got so bad in this city and, 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 and even in this church that the Holy Ghost told me, he said, get up there and say, t tell the people that a lamb died on Calvary, not a ram. And I said that. And, and I tell you what, I got, I mean, I, I think I know how Jesus felt when they took him out after he preached out to the brow of the hill and wanted to throw him over. But then all those years later, I got the last laugh when I got when the Rams left St. Louis and I got to say the, the lamb will never leave you nor forsake you. But the ram did. And then I'm going to say it. I got nothing to lose in this hour. Uh, Christians made a God out of Donald Trump and an idol out of Donald Trump. Absolutely. The God's honest truth. They made a God out of him. Don't tell me there's not, I, I, not all Christians, but most of the Christians in this land and even to this present hour have made a God out of him. They've deified him. And when I said that by the Holy Ghost in this church, I said, don't deify that man. I tell you what, there was a mass exodus just about. People just turned me off. But it's what the Holy Ghost was saying. And it's a God's honest truth. And and, 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 I, and I was for, I, I voted for him the first time, but I'm not going to make a God out of him. And I didn't vote for Joe Biden the second time, I'll tell you that. Because I'm against just about everything he's, he's for. Joe Biden, I'm against almost everything. But I'm not going to make out a, a God out of Donald Trump. I'm not going to make a God out of anything. Jesus is my God. Do you get anything out of this? Well, hey. If you're out there today, I know I went long, but I wanted to finish this series. And thanks for joining us out there on social media. 
And uh, the luxury that you have that the people in this sanctuary don't have is that if I get to go and preach and long for you, you can just put me on pause and pick me up later. The folks here have to, they're stuck. They've got to listen to me they, you know, unless they want to get up and leave. <laughs> but anyway, but hey, uh, thanks for watching today. If you don't know Jesus as, Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sins, call out to Jesus. He'll save you. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven when you, when you die and he'll make your life worth living in the meantime. God bless you. Bye-bye.